This week, George Eustace on Brexit. As we uh, contemplate now a new agriculture bill this year, is put in place the right kind of support and incentives uh, for our farmers. Sean Sparling mentions Prince Charles. I agree with what he's saying, and if you look at our industry, we are back into rotations now. It's no longer monoculture. We have the NFU's response to the government's future telecommunications review. Pretty much everything you do is online these days, um, from your tax returns to your VAT returns, uh, your BPS payments, your grain trading. Plus, it's bitterly cold today. Are we in for another blast of winter? We'll have detailed weather later. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It's nearly a month ago now since DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove outlined the government's 25-year environment plan. It was warmly welcomed by many in agriculture, but there's more to the industry than just the environment, and that's the message this week from the CLA. It wants more to be done to boost productivity, investing in the future. Ben Underwood is on the line again. Ben, with uh, Brexit just a year and a month away, actually a little bit less now, uh, agriculture needs a bit more certainty, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think where we're coming from is Michael Gove has said a lot about the future of um, the environment and payments for the environment. And yeah, that's a principle that the CLA, broadly speaking, support as long as the right to the magnitude of funds are, are given to, to landowners and farmers. Um, what we're really saying now is environment's all very well, but come on, Mr. Gove, we need to start talking seriously about the levers the governments have to to boost productivity in the industry. Now, we accept that a lot of boosting productivity and profitability comes from within the industry itself. There's lots of things we can do better, um, but there are also things the government can do to make a a regulatory framework uh, and an investment program that can help pump prime that. And that's what we're really pushing now, Michael Gove, to start talking about. I mean, at the, at the moment, it's individual farmers, isn't it? It's individual businesses that are pushing this, and, and it really should be coming from the top, shouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think uh, everyone is trying to get their businesses now match fit for the post-Brexit era, whatever that may um, deliver. And, and I think they're just, in the one sense, it seems DEFRA talk about wanting productivity and an increase in productivity in the industry, but at the same time, seem to, on the other foot, talk only about the environment. And I think the two need to be discussed hand in hand and both go together. And I think, you know, one thing you've, you've mentioned is maybe uh, tax incentives. Um, you know, if uh, really to encourage farmers to invest or landowners to, to invest in, in technology to improve that productivity, if there, if there were those kind of incentives, um, you know, we, as you say, we're seeing some of those incentives with the environment, but uh, that's not helping invest in the future, is it? Yeah, exactly. And and so what we're saying is that there could be a whole range of support mechanisms to help pump prime increasing productivity in our industry. And as you say, that can come from tax incentives to, to investment grants, to land drainage grants, you name it. There's, there's a number of things out there. And importantly, overarching all of that is sort of R&D, knowledge transfer, upskilling and those sorts of things. So, so there is a lot that can be done. And and I think we need to start that now quickly. We need to get going on this before, um, you know, uh, further down the line, uh, people's basic payments perhaps will be on the decline. And we need to sort of replace that with uh, better productivity within our industry. So, so that's what we're really sort of pushing now in terms of government priorities. And I know, yeah, we hear hints about uh, you know better broadband, better mobile signals, better housing. But again, it, it's actually needed now, isn't it? It's it's no good just talking about it. We need to see that starting to move. 
Yeah, and this is one of the frustrations with government is that actually um, a number of the things, and you've just mentioned them, uh, are not necessarily under the jurisdiction of DEFRA and uh, the Secretary of State, Michael Gove. And so we continually are reminding them about uh, having a planning system fit for purpose in rural areas, uh, about connectivity fit for purpose in rural areas, and also the fact that landowners and farmers are in a unique position to to help solve some of the housing crisis, which is particularly profound in rural areas. So there's a big agenda around there. And so we must make sure we don't just uh, only think about Brexit, but the whole package for the rural economy as a whole. That's Ben Underwood of the CLA. Well, Brexit was on the agenda, understandably, at the Norfolk Farming Conference this week. Plenty of discussions to be had with the Farm Minister George Eustace among the speakers. He told delegates just what the government's planning as EU withdrawal moves ever closer. What we want to do as we uh, contemplate now a new agriculture bill this year is put in place the right kind of support and incentives uh, for our farmers to help them invest, to become uh, more productive, more competitive, more profitable, uh, but also to help support uh, the environment. But we're also very interested in whether we can help producers add value to their produce. And what I've seen here uh, with the businesses showcased here is lots of fantastic examples of uh, businesses, often small businesses, who've taken the initiative uh, to do something different that adds value uh, to the brand and adds value to food production. George Eustace there. The conference started with a video address from Prince Charles. He appealed to farmers to work in harmony to overcome the effect of what he described as perverse incentives for intensive food production, which he says has had a devastating effect on the rural environment. He added that farmers aren't to blame, but he said future incentives should be aimed at encouraging a return to mixed farming involving a crop rotation, which will boost soil fertility and grazing animals working in a balance with arable crops. Well, let's chat with our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Sean, what did you make of what the Prince had to say? Yes, good morning, Sean. <laughs> it's a difficult one, this, isn't it? Um, I mean, I, I sort of agree with quite a few of the things that he's just said, but I disagree as well um, with many of the things that he said, because what we have to do is just take a bigger view of this. Um, yes, I agree that farmers are in no way to blame for the situation we find ourselves in potentially, because at the end of the day, they've been asked to grow as much food as possible. Now, it's all very well to criticise what's gone on before when that uh, the actions of those farmers have allowed us to eat. It's allowed our life expectancy to increase. It's allowed us to produce nearly 65-70% self-sustainability of food in our own country, grown in a way that we can trust and that we know has been done safely. If you look at organic production the subsidies paid into organic production are massive and they're not necessarily government subsidies. They're coming out of the public purse and the public pocket because if you look at a tonne of wheat produced on an arable farm, it costs around £135 to produce one tonne per acre in terms of machinery costs, uh, fuel costs, herbicides, fungicides, insecticides, seed costs. Everything comes into play. Uh, And it costs around £135 to produce one tonne of wheat on an acre. We sell that wheat for what the people who are buying it deem necessary to pay us. So we have no control over what we sell that wheat for. Um, And some years it's £120 a tonne, some years it's £150 a tonne. So we're not guaranteed to actually make any money out of that wheat. And some years we actually make a loss. Now if you transfer that over to the organic system... The organic wheat is being sold for £295 a tonne. 
it yields a lot less than conventional wheat. I mean, we would expect to yield, I think the national average is around 8.5 tonnes per hectare of wheat, or about 3.6 tonnes per acre. Um, most of my farms will be running around about the 10 tonnes to the hectare wheat, or 4 tonnes to the acre. On an organic farm, that's going to be somewhere between 1.5 and, and 2 tonnes. So the yield is half, but they're getting paid twice as much for that wheat. So it isn't a level playing field. If we all went down the organic route, which I think every farmer would probably say, if we didn't have to worry about the standards which are put in place by the public, the standards which the EU and the lawmakers put in place for the quality of our food, then we would happily not spend any money uh, on growing them. But what you would see is a reduction in yield in the short term and probably continuing for the long term because the longer we don't control weeds and pests and diseases with insecticides, fungicides, herbicides, the more likely they are to overtake what we're doing and there will be a happy medium that would happen in a few years' time where we end up with a yield which is there or thereabouts but a lot of weeds about, a lot more pollinators, a lot more bees, a lot more bugs out in the field but a much lower level of production and who's going to pay for that? Is the public going to pay for that on the shelf? Is the farmer going to pay that out of his own pocket? Because unless you are independently wealthy, you cannot afford to lose all of that income. It's a simple fact. We're all out there trying to do everything we can possibly do in farming to boost the levels of soil organic matter and natural predators within fields. We're planting beetle banks. We have grass margins, wildflower mixtures, pollen and nectar mixtures, just to try and encourage the beneficials back in. Our chemistry is such that the insecticides we use have far, far less impact now on the beneficials and the non-target insects than they ever have done. And we're using them in such tiny quantities, and those of us who are advising on their use understand how they work and we know when to use them and when not to use them so everything's coming together but to dismiss um, plant protection products as something which is hideously outdated is i'm afraid a very very blinkered view of the way forward and i take his point that it would be wonderful to get back to mixed farming again i would absolutely agree and i think every farmer probably would but at the end of the day how do you expect farmers to produce food that they're not getting paid to produce? You know, it's simple mathematics, simple business. If you want to see the country go down to set aside and just areas not being farmed because we simply cannot control the weeds in an organic system, then, you know, it's a difficult situation we find ourselves in. I agree with what he's saying. And if you look at our industry, I chaired a conference down in Harpenden at Rothamsted on uh, Wednesday, which was pests and beneficials. So knowing how to help the beneficials and what we're doing and we are increasing soil organic matter we are back into rotations now it's no longer monoculture we've had to do that to respond to things like black grass and everything else so we now do have full rotations on farms we have cover crops we have catch crops we're putting that nutrient back into the land and we are managing the land a lot better today than we were probably 20 years ago when i would agree his statements are absolutely valid but today we need to produce quality food which is safe for us to eat and it needs to be done in a sustainable way going forward not just sustainable for the environment but sustainable for the people who have to buy that food and who have to produce it so i think there's a lot to talk about i don't disagree with everything i do disagree with some things but ultimately you know we're out there to produce food and we are in our industry conscious about the environment and doing an awful lot to protect it and nurture it so 
it's wrong to suggest that we're not doing all those things because most of the things he suggested we are doing. Just to move back to where we were in the 1960s and 70s with mixed farming, that's a long way down the line because the level of food we still need to produce and the quality that the public have come to expect us to produce is not going to be there in that period of time. And the only other thing I would add, Sean, is I think the government could step in and say, right, all of this chicken manure, broiler manure, which is being burned for fuel, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to insist that goes on to farms and we're going to allocate it to farmers who need it. Um, that would be a fantastic step forward. And uh, to me, it just seems such a waste to burn that natural resource, that organic manure, which delivers nitrogen, phosphate, potash, manganese, magnesium, sulphur, all of these vital vital nutrients, plus, of course, soil organic matter, which is the thing within the soils which needs building back up, because it's because of the lack of organic matter that we start to lose nutrients into water, whether they be nitrates, phosphates, or otherwise. So, for me, there are ways that the government could step in. There are ways that we could be helped on farms without dismissing the benefits of agrochemicals. Plenty of food for thought as ever. Thank you. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. We'll return to Sean for his agronomy in a moment. It's time for our weekly update on all things grain-related, including those important prices. It's Rebecca Pierce this week. Morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Sean. How are things busy? Well, I'd love to say the UK wheat market is rallying away, but in reality, the market remains relatively unchanged week on week. The calendar month keeps changing as we're now into February, but farmers will be noticing ex-farm values remain range-bound. We've seen the Chicago wheat market hit 11-week highs this week and this has helped Paris wheat to firm, but London wheat has been a little reluctant to follow external markets and trade higher than the prices we have got used to seeing. In all honesty, I think old crop wheat has found its level and will continue to trade at these levels over the coming months. I can't see prices at the farm gate pushing any higher, but on the same token, I can't see a drastic drop downwards either. So the question I am asking my farmers right now is how much is left in your shed and would you rather have the cash in your bank? In global news, Algeria were reported this week to have purchased near 500,000 tonnes of milling wheat for March-April shipment, apparently of French and Argentinian origin. The UK remains an island, with UK wheat largely uncompetitive on an export front. It's all about domestic demand and continuing to supply local destinations, with only the odd cargo in discounted areas leaving the mainland. Looking ahead to new crop wheat, and recent crop ratings from America show some deterioration in winter wheat crops in key growing areas like Kansas and Oklahoma, with reports of abnormally dry conditions. These reports are showing this is their driest time since 2013. Severe drought now covers nearly 30% of the main wheat growing state Kansas, whilst Oklahoma is in 80% severe drought. This could give some support to new crop prices, which of late have been fairly flat. New crop wheat currently offers UK growers a good opportunity at a margin, with many able to achieve £140 a tonne ex-farm pre-Christmas. For up-to-date values in your area, get in touch with your open-field farm business manager. Similar to the wheat market, the market for feed barley remains flat but firm, with some good opportunities for those local to feed mills or ports with export activity. The question I'm getting asked the most lately is what is going on with the oilseed rate market? Will it ever go up? It can't continue to drift lower, can it? The UK oilseed rate market has been lower on both the firmer pound and weaker futures, which have been at contract lows. 
I don't think the crush has a lot of forward cover, but at present they really haven't had an appetite to buy. Surely they will come to the market at some point. I don't think there's been a lot of oilseed rate price since the market fell below £300 a tonne. And as yet, we've seen no Australian crop en route to the UK. All vessels are destined for elsewhere in Europe. There's also some concern regarding the Argentinian soybean crop, which is currently forecast to be at its lowest level in five years. Despite all of this, as yet, UK ex-farm prices have struggled to find a reason to push higher other than on currency fluctuation. I feel it's due a rise, but can't quite see when that rally will come. Let's have a look at this week's prices now. An old crop feed wheat in the spot market is showing quite a big range, with those in the north achieving the highest levels. Feed wheat is around 136 to 144 pounds a ton, with a real lack of carry going forward. New crop November feed wheat is trading around 135 to 140 pounds a ton. X farm. Milling wheat premiums remain around eight to ten pound a ton, with consumers seeming to have adequate cover in the short term. Old crop feed barley for February remains around 126 to 131 pounds a ton X farm, with a pound per ton per month carry going forwards. There remains premiums for malting barley, dependent on the quality of your sample and certain varieties. Oilseed rape in the spot market is trading around 280 to 285 pounds a ton, with new crop off combine trading at 272 up to 277 pounds a ton. There are opportunities for feed beans going forward around 145 to 150 pounds a ton X farm with premiums available for human consumption for the very best samples. Thank you, Rebecca Pierce from Open Field. Right, back to Sean Sparling then. His uh, agronomy update for the week. Hello again, Sean. Yes, good morning again, Sean. Uh, let's do the meat and drink. But before I do that, I just want to say a couple of thanks. South Reston Discussion Group uh, spoke to them on Monday evening. Um, and we had quite a, a good discussion, I think, there. Uh, and also the market raising beekeepers. I spoke to them on Thursday evening and they made me feel very welcome. And I was talking to them about what we do in agriculture, how we use insecticides and how we try to minimise the effects on beneficials and pollinators um, by the use of people like me who know what they're doing and who have a conscience, but also the way that insecticides have evolved over the last 20 years so that they are very much more target specific um, and tend not to give us the collateral damage that maybe products did 20 years ago. So hopefully I settled a few worries and concerns. Uh, I was made very welcome and it was a very lively discussion evening. Um, And I was also down in Rothamsted this week at uh, Rothamsted Research in Hertfordshire where I chaired a meeting on pests and beneficials for the industry and it was a fascinating day because we went from the young people coming into this industry, the young uh, graduates who are investigating, one young lady for example was investigating spiders within arable crops and the benefits we get from them. And then you have the more well-established scientists talking to us about which predators are predating on which pests and how we can manipulate things to ensure that we don't damage the beneficials. Um, And then you get the older generation, and I mean that with the greatest of respect, uh, Professor Dick Godwin, for example, talking about soils, organic matter, how we can manipulate that and the things we can do to minimise our impact on the land. So a real interesting day, and it would be very useful for the public to see that sort of consultation, really, um, I think, going forward. So very, very useful day. And it just shows 
proves that we are committed to making sure that soils are right. So hopefully Prince Charles sees and hears things like that and understands that we are trying to do the job right and we are very conscious of some of the points that he raised. So let's move on to agronomy then. There's a few things to say. Firstly, it's blooming wet out there. Um, that, I know, is my specialised subject of telling you the bleeding obvious, but it is very wet out there. And it's it's slightly surprising, because I only took 44 millimetres of rain through January. I know there were people who would take closer to 60, 65. But we're coming off the back of a dry December, a dry November, a dry October. Um, it just hasn't gone anywhere. This water is just sat there. And we haven't had many days where it's dried. Um, you know, every day we've had 0.2 or 0.3 or three and a half or we've had a hard frost which wets the land just as much as two or three mil of rain and the winds haven't been there to dry it they've been wet winds high humidity and I was talking to a chap a week ago who told me it was the first time he'd seen his yard dry since the 10th of December and that just sums it up really it hasn't dried out so it's making things very difficult for traveling it's making things some people won't have got their propizomide on they will now have to move into carbetamide because you can apply that until the end of February whereas with propizomide you had to stop on the end of January so that's made things complicated. It's complicated spring cereal drilling. Spring wheat, spring barley should be in the ground now. We should be out there ploughing and drilling and getting it in. But where it has to go in after sugar beet, these fields are like the Somme. And it's hard to see how we're going to get on those over the course of the next two or three weeks unless things change very, very radically. And while I'm talking about spring wheat, um, it's worth remembering that a variety like Skyfall winter wheat will be drilled quite happily till the end of February. Um, it needs lower levels of fertilisation and some of the other winter wheat so it's not a bad choice of variety if you've got some in the shed it may be worth putting skyfall in in place of a spring wheat um, because you'll get slightly less ergot with something like skyfall than you will with spring wheat that's not a guarantee but you can if you have skyfall in the shed drill that till the end of february but it, it's difficult to see how we're going to do that i mean it could come very hot very dry perfect conditions and away we go in the next fortnight but talking to the old timers and i mean that in the most respectful way they're telling me that the bad winters they've experienced in 1947-1963 didn't start until the end of February. So we could get an awful lot of winter yet. Remember, if you're putting a herbicide on, if it's a contact material, it needs a dry leaf. If you're not getting a dry leaf, don't put it on. If you're putting materials on which require active growth, despite the fact we've had two days above five degrees soil temperatures, we are not getting fully active growth. So a product, for example, like Galera on LC rate, which is clopyrrolid and picloram, the clopyrrolid will work better in cooler conditions. The picloram needs active growth and soil temperature above eight. It's not warm enough for that, so don't waste your time and your money going out and spraying. You don't need to spray wheat for disease, you don't need to spray barley for disease, and the oilseed rape disease levels remain similarly low. So my advice is now what it always has been, sit in the office, do your planning, and let's get ready to go, because it could easily come warm, it could just as easily come a bit of winter yet. Indeed, and we've weather for the week ahead in a moment. Thank you, Sean Sparling. The NFU this week responded to the government's future telecommunications review, urging ministers to ensure future mobile and broadband technology delivers for farming. It's an area we touched on recently in a discussion with the NFU's Andrew Wilson. It's something that we've been talking about for an awful long time to improve broadband speeds uh, and mobile phone coverage for farm businesses. Pretty much everything you do is online these days, um, from your tax returns to your VAT returns, uh, your BPS payments, your grain trading. Uh, pretty much everything you do in the farm office, you need fast broadband these days. And when you're out um, working, you need to have good mobile phone coverage. It's uh, 
it, we hope that this will improve, um, but as the government is going to have to put a lot of pressure on the uh, the infrastructure providers of that um, to to make sure that we have got those uh, facilities at the moment. The way that that is uh, is is rolled out is they go for a headline of say ninety eight percent coverage, but then the two percent is the rural areas where the farm businesses are, and that has to change. We have to make sure that we've got better technology we're making use of uh of sort of wireless broadband and uh, and satellite broadband to get to to these areas and that can be very costly and very expensive for farm businesses to put in themselves andrew wilson there of the nfu well in the nfu response it's emphasized the need for short-term market interventions to increase fiber broadband coverage and full 4g at a cost that is future-proofed for increased business and service needs also, it wants to incentivise those who seek to deliver world-class services to the most remote businesses using a variety of technologies that support agritech, plus ensuring the market is ready to deliver the next generation of mobile technologies, including comprehensive rural 5G coverage. You can find the full report on the NFU website. There's a cold wind blowing in off the North Sea today. What's the uh, week got in store for us? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, yes, those winds are pushing temperatures down. We're looking at about five Celsius at best today. From the northeast, that wind, uh, 12 miles an hour, maybe gusting at 20 miles an hour for a time. Overnight tonight, some clear skies at first. that will cloud over, possibility of a few wintry showers as well. Temperatures minus one first thing tomorrow morning, so expect a frost. That wind continuing from the north-northeast between 10 and 15 miles an hour. Through tomorrow then, that breeze continuing again, an easterly northeast from uh, about 10 miles an hour. We're looking at uh, temperatures of around 3 Celsius. And then overnight, Monday into Tuesday, another particularly cold night, minus 3 below. The wind starting from the north, blowing more from the west by uh, early on Tuesday, about 5 miles an hour. Possibility of some wintry showers to come there, maybe snow in there as well, first thing on Tuesday morning. Tuesday itself, a cold day, wind from the north-northwest, 15, gusting at 30 miles an hour, 2 at best the temperature, and another cold night as well. We're looking again at minus 2, maybe minus 3 Celsius Tuesday into Wednesday, with that wind blowing first from the west, more from the northwest at about 10 miles an hour. Wednesday looks like being a fairly bright day, actually, plenty of sunshine, but again that breeze uh, from the north-northwest, 15, gusting at 20, 25 miles an hour for a time. That'll keep temperatures at about 3 Celsius. And then for the latter end of the week, well, again, the possibility to head towards the end of the week again of maybe some snow, certainly some wintry showers mixed in there. We're looking at daytime highs of about 3 Celsius, overnight lows of minus 2 degrees. We'll keep a check, of course, on that with the hourly forecast. That is the forecast, though. It's Dairy Tech this coming week at Stonely Park. It's uh, looking at the science and technology as well as the supply chain of dairy farming. Happening on Wednesday, if you're going, I hope you find it a useful day. We're back same time next week with more of the same. If it's uh, happening in agriculture, it'll be here on the programme. Until then, as ever, have a good week's farming.